Well, good morning. I'm just going to tell you right now, we're getting to lunch early today. <laughs> it's 11.03. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a privilege to speak anytime that there's an opportunity. I read a conversation by Malcolm Gladwell recently. He's one of my favorite business authors. I've been reading him for like 10 or 12 years, and uh, he's not a Christian, but so much of what he says just triggers spiritual thoughts and, and faith connections for me. So I was reading, his, reading this conversation, and he says this. There's a moment in the book, he's talking about his own book, when I talk about parental loss, what it means to have lost a parent in childhood. And the incredible thing is how many American presidents and British prime ministers suffered this kind of loss growing up. The rates among those two elite groups are way, way higher than in the general population. Parental loss is very common amongst society's losers, his word, not mine, but also among society's winners. When I first read about this phenomenon, I was stunned it is possible, or is it possible, that something so devastating could in some cases be advantageous. I think I'll title today's message, And I Moments. The Bible is full of and I moments, depending on the gender of the biblical character that you're reading about, and depending upon who wrote the story, you might actually see the two words together, and I, or you might see and he, or and she, you might even see then he, but regardless, when, when looking at these stories in the scriptures, from a first person perspective, these are all and I moments. And I want us to take a look at three of them today. So before we do that, though, I want to remind you of another moment that we've talked about from this pulpit before, and those are the but God moments. You guys remember the but God moments? Heard that before? Uh, most of us are familiar with that, but um, things were bad. The situation looked bleak. Uh, everything's going downhill, but God intervened and saved the day. You guys have some of those testimonies in your own life, yeah, and you've read those in the scriptures? In Philippians 2.27, it says, Indeed, Epaphrodites was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. I mean, can you just see it? I mean, Paul and Timothy and Epaphrodites and whoever else was there in the room, they've tried every herb, they've tried every medicine, they've prayed, they've, they've got the proper amount of sleep, they did everything they can possibly do, and he's declining, 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 and they really are at a place where it's hopeless, it's the end, but God had mercy upon him. Acts chapter 13, verse 29 through 30, it says, When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So we're obviously talking about Jesus. They took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But before they got him to the tomb, they wrapped his body with burial clothes and they anointed him with all the spices and then they put him in the tomb and they rolled the incredibly heavy stone in front of the tomb, and then they sealed the tomb, and then they put guards outside the tomb, and you know what? It was over. And in fact, there were some people there that day that were probably thinking, just before he took his last breath, at any moment, he could call down 12 legions of angels, and he could save, and he could heal himself like he's healed so many, and then he breathed his last, and they went through this process, and the tomb is shut, and now, whew, I guess it's over, but it wasn't over. Because Acts 13, 20, uh, 29 then goes on to 30 and says, but God raised him from the dead. But God moments are wonderful, and we probably all recognize moments when God has truly swooped in and saved the day. But today, 
I'm talking about and I moments. Not nearly as uh, well known. <laughs> In fact, I've never heard a message on and I moments. And I'm going to try to give one today. They describe times when God doesn't swoop in and God doesn't seem to save the day. And God doesn't determine for us our decision or our direction. Instead, we decide which path we're going to take. Have you guys ever read those books uh, with the alternate storylines in it as a kid? So it's like, let me, let me try to get you into that, that mode for a second. The young child creeped through the thick woods where he came upon a clearing, and he looked, and he was scared, and he was hungry, and he was cold, and he was thirsty, and, and he looked, and he seemed to, it seemed, yes, it was a house. There's a house over there, and, it's, and it seems to be abandoned. Maybe there's food in there, but wait, there's a candle in the window. And so the boy creeps up to the window and sees shadows moving along, and he reaches for the door. If you want him to, A, go in the door, turn to page 91. If you want him to, B, run away, go to page 32, and you pick the storyline. Have you guys read those books? Love those books. I want adult books like that, like, like, like leadership books. If you want to, A, confront that employee. <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> so I'll go, B, I'll just go play golf with Bob or something. That's what I want to do. <laughs> so I love those books, and that's kind of what I'm talking about today, the and I decisions. And I made a decision, and I chose. And we're going to look at three biblical and I moments today so that when we leave today, we will be better prepared to face our next and I moment. The 11 verses beginning in Matthew chapter 26, verse 69, uh, will, in, will include an and I moment for Peter as well as one for Judas. So I'm just going to read this to you. You can follow along if you'd like or just, just listen, but we're only doing it once, so pay attention. All right, now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he... But, but he denied it before them all. I don't, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, yeah, yeah, th this fellow was, was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said again, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. surely you are one of them because your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore on them, and he, I, I don't know this guy. And immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus spoke. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And here's his moment. And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now he's going to have some other and I moments here in just a second. But the very next verse says this. Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people came to the decision to put Jesus to death. They bound him, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, the governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins to the chief priests and the elders. He says, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. And the chief priest said, what's that to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money back into the temple, and he left. And here's his moment. Then he went away and hanged himself. So Peter and Judas, right here in these same moments, 
they both have their moment, and they both decide uh, how to deal with them very, very differently. Notice that both Peter and Judas both disappointed Jesus. And don't you ever think that if you disappoint Jesus that somehow that excludes you from a further walk with Jesus. That's not the way it has to be. So yeah, notice that they both disappointed Jesus. Notice too that they both feel bad about what they did. And yet notice that one ends his life and the other spends the rest of his life in service to God. Judas, when confronted with the remorse of betraying Jesus, gives up. And Peter, when confronted with the same type of remorse, gives all. It is this Peter who soon after this speaks to the masses in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people are saved that day. The tongue of, tongues of fire land on everybody in his meeting. That's the Peter. He, after this moment of remorse and weeping bitterly, this is the Peter. It's the same Peter who prompts his disciples in Acts chapter 1 to choose a replacement for Judas because the Old Testament scripture in Psalm 109.8 says, may another take his place in leadership. It's that Peter that steps up in leadership and prompts that. It's this Peter who later says to a crippled beggar in Acts chapter 3 who had never known what it felt like to walk under the weight of his own body. He says, get up. Silver and gold have I none, but what I do have I will give you. Get up. And he did, and he walked. It's that, that's the same Peter. It is this Peter who would later heal so many people that it would prompt other desperate and hopeful people to come to him and actually lay the bodies of the people that they love in the street so that maybe when Peter would pass by, his shadow would touch them and they would be healed too. That's the same Peter. Peter is fantastic. I mean, Peter is a, just a stud. He's just so, such a great guy. I mean, outside of Paul, maybe, it's like Peter's like way, way, way up the list. And yet Peter denied Christ. And yet Peter wept bitterly. And yet Peter decided to follow Christ again despite his failures. If you hear nothing else today, hear this. You are in a race. You are in a journey. You are on a track with Jesus. You are not climbing a ladder with Jesus. If you were climbing a ladder, then the, then the enemy would be right because you would take five or 10 or 13 or 20 steps up that ladder, ladder and you would feel pretty good about yourself and then you would fail and you would fall and plummet and hit the ground and that's what the enemy tells you. No, look at you. You got to start all over. You failure. Why? Oh my goodness. Can you believe it? You're here again. And yet the Lord would say, you're not on a ladder. You're in a race. Sometimes you're running, sometimes you're crawling, sometimes you're somewhere in between, but you're in a race. And at mile 17.3, when you stumble over and you fall miserably and you lose all your momentum and you're dusty and you're dirty and you're bleeding, you get up and you're still at mile 17. Because you're not on a ladder, you're in a race. So if you hear nothing else, get that. How could two people, both having spent so much time with Jesus, respond so differently to failing him? Peter and Judas both failed Christ. And you know what? The next time you and I sin, we fail Christ. Because sin is a violent act committed against Jesus. It's a temporary denial of the lordship in, of his lordship in our lives. It is a betrayal. The good news is, however, that Peter betrayed. And Peter denied. And Peter went on to serve another day. Bad news is, Judas betrayed. Judas denied. And Judas didn't go on to serve another day. It's because they handled their and I moments completely differently. Let me go back briefly to that book conversation I read earlier. 
How could some people who have lost a parent in childhood spiral off into disarray while others experience the same hurt and overcome it to become presidents and prime ministers? Could it truly be, and this is written from a non-believer, could it truly be that going through something devastating could in some way turn out to be advantageous? And I would say, yeah, <laughs> yes, that's, that's why they call it the good news. It's the gospel, absolutely. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. We know that in Romans 5, 3, it says, but we also rejoice in our suffering. Anybody suffering today? Maybe it's not as big as the other person that's sitting next to you, but are you suffering anything? Maybe suffering in your finances or suffering at work or at school or you're struggling with something or maybe you're, you've got illness in your body or, you know, anybody suffering? Any, yeah, probably, probably everybody, right? If you're suffering, the good news is here, it says that suffering, we actually rejoice in it, which I think is nuts at first when you think about it. It's like, why? Why would you do that? It's because we know that the gospel is good news. As we, as we know, it's more than just suffering. It's because the Bible says in Romans 5, 3, it says because we know that suffering produces perseverance, and perseverance produces character. Thanks, Stephen. I heard you over there. Produces character and character hope. Now, if you need further proof, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to do it. Uh, Romans 8, just kind of on this line, Romans 8, there's just so much in Romans 8 if you're struggling, but just, just listen, if you need further proof that, that Christ uh, can use us and can bring us out of our difficult situations for our advantage, listen to this. It says, uh, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with me, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has, has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it, who is it that uh, condemns us? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. That's great news. You shall who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? Nope. Shall hardship? Nope. Or persecution? Uh-uh or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or a sword, as it is written, for your sake we face all day long. We, were, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, it's possible that God could take your failure and your pain and your struggle, your disappointment, and turn it into your advantage. Now, you may not believe this, but <clears throat> I don't work out. <laughs> I, I know I'm skinny, but I'm also skinny. I mean, like, I, I, don't, I don't work out. But when I did, like back in college and back before we were outnumbered at home and with kids, like we actually did work out. And we, I, I preferred weights. And, uh, and, and can you imagine if one day I were to walk into the gym, I'm, I'm ready, I've got my, my workout clothes on, and i got my water bottle and my talent. Can you imagine if I were to walk into the gym, and at the door I was met by the boss, uh, the manager of the, the gym, and he said, great news, Josh. Whew, you're just in time. I took all the heavyweights, got rid of them. All that's left are the two and three pounders. That way it's easier for you, Josh. Just wanted you to... Just wanted you to have it easy. You think I would be excited about that? No, because I realize in the context of a gym, I want the heavy stuff. I need the heavy stuff because that's what makes me stronger, right? And that's what the scripture says in Romans 5. It says, 
if, if you can rejoice in that struggle because that struggle, connect the dots, is what leads you to hope in the character that you've been praying about. <laughs> you thought I was just going to give it to you like a gift. You've got to lift stuff. And it's okay, you're going to make it. And so, so yes, it's possible that God could, could turn those things into to our advantage. So these and-I moments are in part those times when you get to decide how you are going to respond to trouble and your response will determine where you end up. Do you like where you are today? If you do, keep it up. It's probably because of all the and-I and the but-God moments that you just walked through. Fantastic, keep going. Do you not like where you're at today? Well, cool, change it. Because your tomorrow is going to look a lot like what you allow your today to take you through. And it's, it's going to look a lot like your decisions uh, today will take you to tomorrow. So, I told you earlier we would look at three and I moments. The third is in Psalm 73. The character we're going to read about today is Asaph. He is actually the author as well. Asaph is not faced with a den denial or betrayal of Jesus. Asaph is faced instead with the stark realization that life isn't fair. And in fact, he had a disturbing conflict going on on the inside uh, because what he knew to be true about his faith just, just, just didn't seem to be happening in reality. Anybody been there? Like, I know this is the way it ought to be, and this is what the Scripture says, but reality is completely different, and this is, this is, this is not good. And so what, what Asaph saw with his natural eyes was not what he thought he should be seeing because the Scripture says one thing, and yet it seemed the opposite was happening all around him. I feel like that sometimes. I mean, think about our world right now. Does it, does it feel like it's kind of just spiraling in the wrong direction <laughs> sometimes? It's not the way it should be. Uh, what I like about Asaph is that he's a pretty accomplished guy. He's, um, he's David's music director. So he's, like, he's the Brent Brunson for David, which, which is a pretty big deal, all right? I mean, it's whoa, Brent Brunson. Hey, did you know that Brent Brunson was wearing a bow tie last week? And Seth Johnson up here was wearing a bow tie last week? That's two bow ties on the same stage in one week, and nobody said a word about it. <laughs> I just think that's odd. Like, I, if I were up on the stage last week, I would have said something, Todd. I would have said something, but nobody said a, said a thing. I was, I was just surprised about that. But anyway, I digress. <laughs> so Asaph is David's music director. He later works for King Solomon, and then he actually gets to see King Rehoboam's reign come in. So you got to picture this. This guy, I love this guy because he saw the strength of David's empire as it, as it grows and the kingdom as it grows, and then he saw the wealth and the prosperity and then probably the, some of the corruption of King Solomon, and then he sees Rehoboam when the, when the kingdoms are split. He sees this whole thing, and some of you guys have the perspective because you've lived a few decades longer than I that you've seen the progression in our own country, and you're like, man, it's a lot different now than it was back then. I'm not just talking about clothes, and I'm not just talking about music, and I'm not just talking about style. I'm just talking about the spirit of the land is a lot different, and you've seen it, and, uh, and Asaph had seen it just like that, and so I want us to read Psalm 73. Uh, you, can, you can read along, or you can just listen again, but Psalm 73, I just want to interject a little bit as we go through it, and then we'll wrap up today. It starts out like this. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Anybody agree with that statement? Surely God's good to those that are pure in heart. You agree with that? Listen to this next one. It says, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Okay, Asaph, he's a, he's a pretty, pretty awesome guy. He's a he's high leadership. He's a, he's a man of God. And yet he's here admitting to us that, you know what? I just about lost it. I just about slipped. I just about lost my foothold. He's not talking about, you know, something minor. He's talking about I just about, like, lost my faith. I just about stumbled away and just, like, 
gave up on everything. And, I, and so I, I saw that. And I'm like, well, I want to see what, was, what that was all about. So he says, uh, for I envy the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You know, envy, we don't talk about envy that much. But just in looking at this verse, you know, when I was, it took me back on a cross-reference to Cain and Abel. It was the sin of envy that caused Cain to kill Abel. Envy. It's a pretty big one. Like if I made my list of top ten sins, I'm not sure if envy would have made my list just off the top of my head. But it's what caused Cain to sin. It was the sin of envy that Judas says that the chief priests of, of Israel turned over Christ to be crucified because they were envious. That's a nasty sin. You need to be careful about that. Number four here, it says, they have no struggles. Talking about the wicked. He says, they, they prosper, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They're not even plagued by human ills. Job says some of the th- same things in Job 21. It just says, you know, everything's perfect for them. Everything's great for them. It says, therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. Colossians 3 talks about how we clothe ourselves with compassion and with patience and with godliness and humility and we, we put on love. That's how we clothe ourselves. And yet, he's saying here that these guys are so wicked, they clothe themselves with violence. They, they, they wear pride around as a necklace. It's like they're not even ashamed of their pride. Like, I get prideful, and I'm ashamed of it, and I want to turn away from it. They're not even ashamed of it. Keeps going, it says, from their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. He keeps getting surprised at how evil they are. It's like, I, I thought it couldn't get any worse, and they come up with a new way to commit sin. They scoff and they speak with malice and their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up the waters in abundance. Not only are they wicked and perverse, their people turn to them, and they're like, give me more. Like, no, they're the popular ones. <laughs> it's like they're the ones that are accepted and listened to, and it's like, man, this is just not right. Says their, mouth, their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? They even question God. This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, always increasing in wealth. Surely, oh man, this is where it gets real bad. I want to make sure you're not in this spot today. It says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. Stephen taught me when I, was, when I was a youth and in college, he would tell me to live life with no regrets. He said, you live your junior high days with no regrets. You live your high school career with no regrets. You live your college days, no regrets. You, when you get married, you live married life with no regrets. And when you have kids, you live that stage with no regrets. And it just keeps going. You live every stage with no regrets. But you know what? When you're living like that, sometimes you get your focus off of God and you start looking around and you start having a regret. And the regret kind of sounds like, well, man, what they're doing looks pretty good. They seem to actually be prosperous. They're not even miserable like I think I would be if I was over there. And he says, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. They wash their hands in blood, in wickedness, perversion. He washes his hands in innocence. He clothes himself with righteousness, with purity, with humility. And yet, in the heat of it, He's sitting here saying, I just about lost it. I was actually sitting there thinking, you know what? This may not be worth it. Living this way just may not be worth it. And, uh, and so he, and he keeps going. He says, if I said all this, if I, if I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. In other words, I'm glad I didn't open my mouth up because if I would have talked about what was on my heart at that season of life, 
I would have really confused and messed up some people that are trying to follow God. He says, I, I, would, have, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. And this is the moment. I told you this was an and I moment. This is where his moment comes. In, chapter, in verse 17, this is where his moment hits. Let me go back to 16. I'm going to read through 17. I want you to catch it. It says, when I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. To put it in common terms, it's like, until I went to church. I was feeling before, before I got in the building, I was feeling that, you know, this is a waste of time. This is, uh, this is too hard. I'm frustrated. It seems like I'm trying to do what's right, and yet other people are rewarded. And I just feel like maybe this, this whole, this, this, maybe I'm just, maybe this isn't worth it until I got to church. And something about getting in the presence of God, all of a sudden, our focus goes away from everybody else and all the other things that you might want or you might be frustrated with or you might be disillusioned with, and you get your focus back on God, and then all of a sudden, all those things, their important levels just drops. It's like, until I went to church, until I got in the sanctuary of God. Now, I'm not foolish enough to think that that moment could only happen in church, but in a, in a day where church is becoming less and less popular or less and less needed, especially in my generation, I will stand here in my generation and say, I don't want to forfeit one of the venues for me where on a weekly basis I can come in and be intersected with the presence of God and with the perspective of God because I'm, I'm bombarded all week long everywhere else with the world's perspective. I don't want to forfeit this venue. And so, yes, I'm going to find the Lord on, on uh, podcasts. And yes, I'm going to find the Lord uh, in my home, in my room, but I'm not giving up this, this venue. Uh, because this guy here, Asaph, stud, he finds himself in this situation. He says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. And if I can re read through this, and I'll, I'll go quicker through the back half. It says, surely you place them on a slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors? As a dream, when one wakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. All of a sudden, these people that were just all right up in his, his perspective, and this, this, these are the people I'm looking to. I'm envying the arrogant. All of a sudden, he gets his eyes off the surroundings, off the other people, off the wicked, onto God, and he realizes real quick, they're like a, a dream. When you wake up and in the first minute, you forget them. That's what, that's what they're like with you, God. But you'll never forget me. But I'm in the palm of your hands. And he starts remembering the truths that, that he knows to be true. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. When I was thinking like that, I was a beast. I was an animal. I was not thinking spiritually. An animal doesn't have a spirit. They just have a body. They just have their, their flesh. And I was just thinking in the flesh until I went to church. Then all of a sudden, my my brain kicked in, my spirit kicked in, and I realized that I was just a beast. So this is his apology to the Lord. I'm sorry for thinking those ways. He says, yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. By my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Why don't you say that? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Let's say it again. Think about it. And earth has nothing I desire besides you. If I live that, that changes a lot of my conversations and a lot of my wants during the week, doesn't it? Earth has nothing I desire. Got to remember. Remember. 
earth has nothing I desire besides you. Because, you know, a couple, weeks, or a couple months ago or somewhere in there, I was, I was on a missions trip, and one night, we, we, you know, when you go on a missions trip, you just start talking about God, and you get excited, and my friend Sean and I, just, it's like two in the morning, and we got to be up at six, and we're like, oh, my goodness. But we're talking about, and Sean said this one thing. He said, you know what, Josh? I know it's hard right now, and I know it's frustrating right now, and the work we're doing, sometimes it feels like we're beating our head against the wall. I'm just not sure if it's making a difference. But you know what? If we could fast forward several decades or whenever the Lord comes back, and, we're, and once we get to heaven, if we could see the value of what we're doing right now, the value of a soul, the value of, you know, we, he said we would sell everything. We wouldn't just sacrifice a little bit. We would give everything to, to, to go after these, these more important things because the earth really has nothing I desire beside you. The earth really, when, it, when, it's, when we pay, get out of this, this time, this time and space that we're in right now, and we get into eternity, we're going to look back and say, I cared that much about my house? Why did I put so much focus upon my, my, my car? Why, why was I so focused on video games? I mean, what was I thinking? Think how much I could have stored up in heaven had I just remembered that the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Whom, I have, whom, I have, whom have I in heaven but you? Uh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made, my, I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Isn't that a good psalm? That's a fantastic psalm. I think we need to read that every once in a while. Just whenever you're kind of in one of those moods where you start looking at everybody else's stuff and you start to feel like maybe I'm a little disillusioned or whatever, I'm going to read that again and remind me. So let's wrap this all up. Asaph's and I moment came when he decided to see his situation through God's perspective. And that made the second half of Psalm 73 very much different than the first half of Psalm 73. I want us, as we walk out of these doors, actually before I go there, I'm really encouraged by Asaph because even though the wicked were prospering and, and things were still bad, Asaph was now again in a frame of mind where he was again be able, being able to be used by God. His focus was no longer on the situation. Instead, it was back on God, and that's a good place to have our focus. So as we walk out these doors today, and that's what you do after a sermon, you walk out the doors, because we're not supposed to just listen to a word and hear a word. We're supposed to go out and do the word. And the cool thing is, other people who you have influence over are watching you, because the scriptures even say, you know, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. I mean, there's people following you as you follow, follow Christ out these doors. So as we walk out these doors today, we're going to come face-to-face -face with and-I moments. And I want us to handle them more like Peter and less like Judas. And I want us to handle them with the mind of Christ and with the perspective of God like Asaph did. I want to share one more thing just to prove to you that your perspective, you know, I'm talking about I want us to have the mindset and the perspective of God. I want to prove to you that the perspective really does and the mindset you have really does determine your actions. When you walk out these doors today, you will be, you will be immediately uh, faced out these doors, not that door, out these doors. Then go out the glass doors. You will be immediately faced with acorns. Have you noticed the acorn epidemic that we have at Bethesda? <laughs> have you noticed? Again, I'm going to tell this just so I can remind you that our perception really does determine our actions. Asaph walked with God's perspective, verse 17 on, and with his worldly, his fleshly perspective, verse 1 to 16. 
I'm saying as we walk out of here, we want to be making decisions like Peter, not Judas. And I'm saying as we walk out of here, I want to be making decisions like Asaph with the perspective and the mindset of God. When you walk out those doors, let me tell you what happens with my family. Bryn, my, my four-year-old daughter, she sees the acorns and she picks them up. In fact, I've got some acorns here. I might use these. She picks them up and she puts them in her dress or her shirt and then, and then she gets another one. And these acorns are treasures. These are, these are little green emeralds. And she'll get as many as she can get before we say, please, get in the car. We have got to go home. And she'll walk like this, and she'll bring them home to us. She actually seeks them out. All right? My boys, they're different. My boys get out there. They're like, sweet. Acorns. And they collect them as well. They get them, and they're like, ammunition. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah. And they're throwing them. And, and, yeah, even the balcony's involved. That's right. That's right. All right. That didn't hurt you, did I? Okay, good catch. And they're, they're picking them up, and they're, they're wanting them too, and, but they're not getting them to collect. Whoa. <laughs> Who was it? It was Judas. <laughs> it, was, it was Judah, or it was Judas. I'm not sure. So they pick them up, and it's ammunition. Jeremy Campbell, one of my friends up here, he's on staff, he works here, he's actually in his, his, his studies to become, uh, in his uh, physical therapy studies and going to be a doctor like in two and a half years, it's just awesome. But Jeremy Campbell, he sees those things and it's an absolute nuisance because I see him out there all the time with a broom, sweeping them out of the way or with the blower, blowing them out of the way. I've even seen him with the water hose just spraying them off the, off the, the sidewalks because some of you see them as a danger. Some of you see them as a broken hip waiting to happen because they're like coming up to grab you and make you slip and to fall. Personally, I don't see it as a danger. I surely don't collect them like my daughter does. I don't throw them at... <laughs> I don't throw them at my kids. <laughs> what I do, and, and you're not, there's no way you're going to hear this, but I want you to do it when you get out there if you're not afraid of falling on them. What I do is I crunch them. Does anybody, be honest with you, does anybody like to crunch them? It's one of my favorite things. Like my office is over here, and my wife's office is like, if you cut through the middle of the church, it's not that far. But some days I will actually walk out of the pastor parking and walk across the entire front of the church and then go in the front door of the daycare just so I can crunch the acorns. Because listen, I mean, it's like you put it on your heel. Don't do your toe. And don't do the middle. The middle doesn't give you the same. You want, you want to do the heel, and you hit it, oh, and oh, I love it. And in fact, in fact, if you ever see me doing it, this is what I look like walking. I'm like. That's what I do. It makes, it's just, but I love the crunch. It's awesome. And yet, so what I'm saying is as we walk out these doors today and you're faced with acorns, let it just be a lesson to you that, you know what, you're going to be faced with real decisions and die moments where you can choose like Peter, you can choose like Judas. You can choose to have the mindset of Christ, you can have the mindset of your something else. But as you go out there, just these acorns will be a good reminder. Your perspective will determine what you do about them. Some of you guys are seeking them out like me and crunching them. 
Some of you guys are collecting them. Some of you guys are throwing them. Some of you guys are trying to sweep them away because they're such an annoyance. And others are like, oh, goodness, oh, I don't want to step on water. I'm not going to hurt. The perspective changes how we act. We need the perspective of God. And it will change the way we act. And I'm telling you, this is Asaph. Asaph wasn't a sinner. Asaph was the music director of David. I mean, he's a stud. He wrote, he wrote more of the Bible than a lot of the people that wrote the Bible. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible when you start, I mean, listen to this. Let me just kind of divert for a second. In my studies, I know you didn't have time for this, but it's only 1140. Well, maybe not. <laughs> I made a little note in there, and of all the people that, uh, that he read, he wrote more of the Bible than, and it was an amazing list. And I mean, it's, okay, here he goes. He says, Asaph wrote more of the Bible than Peter, James, Jude, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Joel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Haggai, and Obadiah. He wrote more of the Bible than all those guys. Not combined, but like individually. I mean, most of us don't even know who Asaph is. <laughs> I mean, like, I kind of remember seeing his name. And uh, I've even read that the Bible says more about Asaph through other scriptures and chronicles and 2 Kings and, and the Psalms. It says more about Asaph than everybody else in the Bible except Moses, David, Samuel, and perhaps Isaiah, Hosea, and Jeremiah. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. He's a pretty big deal, and yet we don't know a whole lot about him. Asaph, once he got the mindset of Christ, everything changed. The world was still wicked. The world was still perverse. And yet he, he, he walked out and, and lived differently because he had the mindset of Christ. I'm just crazy enough to believe that, yes, things are spiraling out of control in a lot of different ways, but I'm crazy enough to believe that if I want to be a part of the solution, and if we're going to be a part of the solution for our families, for our community, that, that if we would have the mindset of Christ and we would see things as Christ sees it, then we could really make a difference. And the interesting thing is, if you think about acorns for a second, God's purpose for acorns, I think he's fine with all those things that we do with them, but God's purpose for acorns is to grow another tree or for, like, squirrels to eat them. That's, like, all I can think of. That's his purpose. And it wasn't any of those other things that we talked about. I think it's just possible enough to, if we don't keep our mindset on Christ, we can, we can do, spend all sorts of effort and just miss God's purpose in all of it. And, uh, and I don't want us to do that because, again, we have got a little bit of time to make a big difference. And the good news is the Lord's with you. And so, just to wrap it all up, you're going to fail God again, but keep going. Peter did. Peter did change the world. And let's make sure we have the mindset of Christ, because if we do, if we really see the world like Christ sees it, he's going to partner with you. And he's going to say, all right, I know things are like that at work. I notice it too. How about we do something about it? Yeah, let's, let's do that. Or you can just sit around the coffee cup and just complain. That's your other option, which isn't as good of an option. So let's pray. In fact, I'm going to give someone else an and I moment. This is totally off the cuff. Is this on? I'm going to come over here, and having just heard all of that, I'm going to take a great chance, and I'm going to pick one of our youth, actually a college student, and I'm going to have you pray, Mario. Come on. Come on up here. I want to have you, because this, this, this is an and I moment for you. Hey, you know, when we were singing earlier, I didn't realize it earlier, but we actually sang one of the songs that said, and I worship you because of who you are. And I thought it was, just, it was speaking in my spirit because, and I worshiped you because of who you are. Because I got my mind set on you again, God, I worship you. All right, would you pray us, having heard what we just heard and knowing what, how this applies to your life, would you just pray for us?
Because I think everybody in here wants to be more like Peter, right? I think everybody wants to be more like Asaph, verse 17 and on, right? So you, you pray for us. I believe in you. In fact, I'm going to pray for you first. Lord, I thank you for Mario. I ask that you would, your hand would continue to be upon him. Pray that you would use him. Pray that you put him in unexpected places, just like this morning. Put him in unexpected places that he can make a difference and walk out your truth in the world around him so he can make a difference. I pray your blessing upon him in Jesus' name. Go for it. Dear God, uh, as everyone in here walks uh, through the rest of our lives, uh, I pray that we would uh, react to these and I moments the way Peter did and we would seek you rather than just be ashamed and go and hide uh, and fall into despair like Judas did. Because mm-hmm. right. God, I know that you can use us to do amazing things if we partner with you. Uh, God, I pray that each and every person in here would even if it's just in the smallest way, would partner with you and make a difference in their lives. Leave their jobs, leave their schools, leave their homes better than they found it. Uh, God, give us the mindset of Christ that we can give up everything in this life and store up for the next. God, uh, I just thank you for this day, uh, and I pray that we would just walk the rest of our lives with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, bud. Bless you, bud. Uh.